And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everyone and welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach, and I'm thrilled as always, to be joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Felder from Stadium, to break down the biggest storylines in college football this week in an hour or less. As a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show. Five stars, because much like Ari Wasserman's favorite recruits, well, we're, we're five-star people, and we want to make an immediate impact. And uh, Felder, you are a five-star person. I miss you. I have not had one of your delicious meals in a while. We need to change that. We need to change that. You let me know when you want to come over. Doors open. I know. I got. I got to pick the day of the week though, because I got to. You know, I got to get on like a pizza day. I got a pizza Wednesday. I got to do you know wings Monday. I got. I got to be strategic about this. Yeah. You listen. You tell me. We'll we'll make it happen. Uh, I'm excited. My dad's actually coming to visit next week, so it's um he's gonna get to experience some leftover wings and then a real pizza make pizza with his granddaughter which should be pretty love fun. it what's what does he have any requests when he comes no he says uh listen you're, you're the boss applesauce let's make it happen love it i love it and we're gonna get into our new favorite weekly segment which is the flavor of the week where we talk about what we're cooking and the teams that we like on the field a little bit later in the show uh but Felder, let's start with the big news out of Monday because apparently we cannot go a week without a coach getting fired before the end of the season because this is now where we are in college football. Um, Texas Tech fired Matt Wells on Monday. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a very interesting dynamic because, you know, there's a reason we see a lot of college football firings on Sundays because you start the week. I mean, he had fully gone through like a Sunday night press conference talking about, um, you know, the outside noise and, and focusing on the next game and rehashing their loss. Like all of that had already happened. Um, and then Kirby Hoka goes and fires him Monday morning. What was your reaction to this news um, of five and three Texas tech team? I, it, honestly, it was just kind of like, uh, I mean, I guess like, like what's going to happen? Like what, I guess to me, whenever I think about this, I think about the pl- actual players yep. and how that impacts them. I think about the recruits and how that's going to impact them. I know they haven't been doing like a super bang up job in terms of recruiting, but they have been working towards building something in recruiting. And then the other part that I look at is what are you going to gain from this? And and honestly, I think, what are you going to gain from this? The, the only positive, because let's kill the myth that we're getting a jump start on hiring our next guy. Cause you're not. You're not getting a jump start on hiring somebody unless you're hiring somebody unemployed. And with that in mind, obviously, I know Auerbach's got something to say, which she'll get to in a second. But we'll kill that point because I think that that's not – like when UNC fired and my coach, John Bunting, 
they got a head start on hiring someone because they hired Butch Davis, who was working for CBS. And that's a head start. But unless you're hiring a coach that's on television, you're not getting a head start on anything. Everybody's going to kind of enter the marketplace at the same time, and they're going to take on all comers. Um, but the reality for me is, is it's what do you gain? And you don't gain ground. What you do gain is – or what you – it's not even what you gain, it's what you kill. You kill the opportunity of maybe this week they upset Oklahoma. Maybe they upset Iowa State. Maybe they upset Oklahoma State or Baylor, right? And so, you and we've seen it at USC. We watch it at LSU. The whole goal is you're, you're killing his chance to, you, what you gain is stopping him from the opportunity to save his job. That's, ex- that's exactly what it is because – you're looking at a five and three season, a team that's about to become bowl eligible and deciding, oh, we're a little too close to whatever win total would probably save his job. And I think that's why, you know, with, with the LSU change, it happened after a win yeah. and it, it could have happened a week before. And they're, they're saying that the process was already started, but everyone's nervous that these people are going to keep their jobs because people, important people, influential people have made up a mind that they're going to make a change. So I, I don't like it. I mean, you, there have been so many midseason firings this year. Five and, and three. Five, and, five three. and three. About to become bowl eligible. Five and three at Texas Tech. That's a good record. Like, that's not a bad record. And obviously, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not slippery slope guy. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm that. But what I'm seeing is five and three. You beat, what, you beat a, a West Virginia team that I do think is pretty good. Obviously, they manhandled Kansas. They, they handled Kansas better than Oklahoma did. And then a tight loss to Kansas State. But this is, I, I, like, ultimately, this is a firing that I don't think has to do with the record because he's showing record improvement. It has right. to do with fit and culture and, and all those other things that, 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 that factor in that a lot of folks don't see outside of the record. What's always interesting with something like this, too, is this is the person who hired the coach. Um, and the person pulling the plug early. And this is what Kirby Hoke had had to say about what they are looking for in their next head coach. Um, Max Wilson had a really great piece on The Athletic today about like actually analyzing what this job is and and what's realistic. And he has this quote from Kirby Hoke. Should this football team go to bowl games every year? Absolutely. Should we be in the top 25 in the country? Absolutely. That's where we belong. We haven't been there, and we're going to get back there. That's exactly the expectations for this program. And to be relevant, to compete in November, and that's not going to change. I mean, it's been a long time since they've been all of those things. This is a hard job. I, yeah, you know, I, it's just, it, it's really, I don't know what you're looking for. If the guy you hired, you're not given much time because he didn't win enough, I guess, right away. And, you know, there were similar issues with Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, right? Not winning enough, and not winning enough, right? Not winning enough, sure. not winning enough big games. Even if, you know, clearly he is a great offensive mind. He's a good coach. We're seeing it at the NFL level. But I, so I just, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard job. And I just think the expectations have to include some patience. Or yeah. if, or the fit question, it's got to be someone, you, you hired him. You hired a guy from Utah State to take over this job. Right. I, I, I think there's this level of um, inflation, like, Self-importance and inflation, aren't the, those aren't the right words, but those are the ones that I can think of right now. There's this inflated sense of self. And the reality, like, I get it. Everybody wants to win championships. Everybody wants to compete for championships. Everybody wants to 
go to the playoff. Everybody wants to be in their conference title game. Everybody wants all of those things. And the reality of it is, is that everybody can't do that. And I, the metaphor that I always use are the metaphor that I, I the metaphor that I use is, is it's a, it's a shit metaphor. Cause I came up with it when I was talking about Vanderbilt, where it, you, you don't, you don't have a lot of control. And so if you're a ship in the ocean, you kind of you you like you're you're at the whims of the sea, you're at the whims of the wind. And a big part of that is the wind in the sea for for Texas Tech, that's Oklahoma and Texas. And it's also Oklahoma State sometimes and TCU sometimes. And like they 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 have to go as those guys go. And so when those guys have down years, is that's the year you have to pop. And because they don't have as much control as other programs, the big key for them is going is is figuring out how their ebbs and their flows go. And I just think that impatience or lack of understanding of where control actually comes from, or this this false idea of control in itself, in and of itself, excuse me. Um, most college football programs don't control anything. Somebody else is in charge of it. Going all the way to, like, you could take it from the like the 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 most midland or lowest level FBS program. Their own conference kind of controls where they are. Like th- those teams, Old Dominion. It d- depends on it. If Charlotte's going to be good this year, then it's going to be maybe be a little more rough for you than usual. But guess what? If you have you catch lightning in a bottle and you get some upsets and you make some wins, now all of a sudden you've got a good year and then you move up and guess what? Guess what, um, Conference USA or Sunbelt? You're not in control either because the SEC or the, the ACC, they're going to pick the players that you thought you had a chance at, and they're going to get those players, and then you're not going to have them. And then when you play them in uh, those non-conference games, those war- those games, they're kind of in control of those things. But if you get an upset or they're having a down year, now you can rise up. And then you move from there, and if you go into the ACC or the SEC, Vandy, Mizzou, um, Mississippi State, like, you're not in control. What happens is if Alabama's having a good year, just sit back and watch because you, there's nothing you can do about it. You are not, you didn't get the players that you thought you were going to get or your players aren't quite ready. And the same thing is in the Big Ten. Wisconsin, if 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 Ohio State's having a bang-up year, probably not going to be the year for you too. And same thing with Iowa or whatever. We're watching all that. Like, you're not in control. And at the end of the day, control is what – Control is so prevalent in college football. And then to go back to, to tie it back to Texas Tech, they can you can you can control you to some extent you can control who you hire, right? But if somebody offers them more money, then they're gonna probably pick that other job. So you don't really even control that. You can control who you get on campus, who you recruit. Except if if AM or Texas or Oklahoma wants that guy, then you're probably not gonna get them. And you can control what you do in the transfer portal, except if somebody else needs him as a plug-and-play guy, they're pro- they might get him instead of you. So what can you control? I think you can control your culture, you can control your, your stability, and you can control you know, like, like your approach in terms of how you play football so that you're ready when there's opportunity to pounce. And I think that a lot of folks don't see that forest for the trees. Yeah. What, what do you make of the, the two obvious names, two obvious candidates for this job are 
Jeff Trailer, UTSA, yeah. undefeated, top 25 for the first time in program history. Sunny Dykes, SMU, they've been rolling for a few years now. Yeah. Both of those make a lot of sense to me. Sure. And I, like Sunny Dykes has like some very clear immediate ties. Yes. Um, I just, to me, the question becomes. I, I think Dana Demmel should probably have his name thrown in there as well. UTEP's having an amazing year. Um, so shout out to shout out to UTEP, the first place I ever saw a college football game. Um, but like, I just, yeah, sure. But the reality is, it's about control, and and I don't care if you bring in Demmel or you bring in Trailer, you bring in Dykes, you bring in whoever you want to bring in. The reality of it is, is that yes, it's them taking a Power Five job, but. The reality, what's the difference between this and Sonny Dykes at Cal? Well, I think I think the, part of what is going to be important here is this is a hard job. You're in Texas, but it's not, you know, there, there's a million other great places for good high school players in Texas to go. So when you talk about relationships, with high school coaches in the state and the way that they, they're influenced, the way that they are a piece and part of the recruiting process the coaches who have succeeded at places like UTSA and SMU are, are people who get that. And so that's where I think a lot of this is. It's, it's yeah. guys that, that, that are like these high school coaches. Um, and, and so I think you're looking for guys who can really kind of mine that field and, and get guys that there's so much talent in the state. Um, and, and I think Sonny's done a great job too of guys who want to come back to the state, right? So it's guys who are from you know, the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area go somewhere right, else what, and then you've always got yeah. a landing place. You always got a place to come back to transfer back to come play closer to home. And he found really real, like the right guys for that. Well, I think that's the other part we have to get into, right? This is Lubbock. This right. is West Texas. It's not the same. And San Antonio is San Antonio and UTEP. That's why I mentioned demo um, because UTEP, it's a hard place. And UT, UTEP and UTSA are, a lot more in range of Lubbock than like if you're in the Dallas Metroplex, like that's a different world completely. Yeah. Same. Yeah. It's a completely different world. Like it's the same thing as, as Houston. It's a completely different world. And so I just, I'm very curious to see who they approach, who they talk to, who they interview, obviously uh, in the words of, um, Ah, dang, I can't remember his name now. USA Today. Dan um, Wilkin. Yeah, nobody, nobody's ever offered a job unless they accept it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and and before we get off this subject real quick, I um, just want to address the Art Bryles topic yes. because this is a name, either hiring Art Bryles directly or hiring Kendall Bryles and bringing Art along. This is something that's already coming up around this job in particular. We know that there are, mm-hmm. there are boosters, influential people around this program that think that that would be a great idea. And I'll get into it in a second why you don't want to do that. But I, I do want to pull this quote from Max Olson's story today. He makes a great point that this is a Texas Tech program that got left out in the round of realignment and was mm-hmm. clearly interested in the Pac-12. So if you want to keep options open, quote, if you want to be a pariah for any conference realignment, hire Art Bryles. So even if it's not ethically, more morally, like you have actual issues with a football culture that did not report violence against women, did not take 
you know, the allegations and report seriously um, and acted as if it was above the law. Well, then think about conference realignment. I mean, honestly, think about what it means for your program to be associated with this person. And there's a reason that he has not been back in major college football since. I mean, this is, you know, you don't have to, you can get other great offensive minded coaches. You can get coaches that have elements of the Bryles offense in their system without hiring Art or Kendall Bryles. Like you do not need to sure. bring someone who looked the other way when there was sexual violence on their campus. And I get that it was an, a university wide issue at Baylor. It was not just the football program, but I don't want anyone who thinks that they're above the law. I don't want anyone who thinks that victims should be coming to football coaches that people should be handling stuff and that things should not be done by the letter of the law, Title IX, with reporting to the police. I don't want a culture where that does not exist, where, where you're prioritizing good football players or mediocre football players above anything else and above the safety on campus. I don't think you can sell that to anyone, that, you're, that, that safety on your campus for all, all students is a priority if you bring our Bryles to your campus. So this has been my stance ever since the scandal broke. You know, I, I've criticized programs like FAU, places that have hired Kendall Bryles, places that have let our Bryles kind of like roam the sidelines. I, I think it's a huge problem. I, I don't love this element of college football where there are always going to be coaches who are going to give coaches like that a second chance because, you know, oh yeah, they're, they're an offensive mind. They got something, you know, they, they felt like they were railroaded, whatever it might be. You don't have to do this. You can hire somebody else. You do not have to damage the reputation of your school, your athletic department, and endanger your campus. So just don't do it. That's my that's my plea. Yeah, yeah. I, at the end of the day, just you just do. It's it's a, more of an element of like. Here's the reality. We spent so much time talking about, and I just, I was reading the Oregon story again this morning, this morning about their whole, their track and field situation, specifically women's track and field. But that's neither here nor there. At the end of the day, I don't trust any of these guys to care about what's actually going on. I think they are very worried about winning because winning is the currency that they deal in. But, it, but also at the end of the day, they do operate on a CYA um, they operate on a CYA basis. And that's not to say that I think that whether it's Hookett or it's any of the pre, the president of Texas Tech or the president of any school, I don't think that they're a great person or a good man or a good woman. But I do think at the end of the day, if CYA is the, the currency that they traffic in, and that's, you know, cover your ass. And hiring Browse is definitely not, doesn't fit into CYA with respect to the university. Right. So just again, even if you got a couple donors who think that it's worth winning a couple football games by doing it, just you, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do a text yeah. tech. You've got options. Don't do it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, let's switch over to actual football and uh, happier topics. Uh, let's talk about Michigan, Michigan State. This is the first time since 1964 that it's a top 10 game, both sides. These teams are not usually this good at the same time. They've also never met 7-0, and both 7-0 and this deep. Well, okay, we can get into that in a second. But they've never met both 7-0 and in the season, which is obviously partially a product of the way the schedule is. Um, so... So I want to start here and then we'll get into the actual game, but I want to, I want to talk about who needs this more because this game means a lot to both teams on an annual basis. It means a ton to Michigan state on an annual basis. It's their big game. It's their super bowl. Michigan still has, you know, Ohio state at the end of the season, but as someone who's lived in Michigan for four years, like this is a day to day, like it, 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 it matters to so many people. And I think in general, you would say, you know, this is a, this is a bigger deal to, to Michigan state. This is where the little brother comments originated from, right? Like just the dynamics and this rivalry. But I think this year you've absolutely got to say it's a bigger deal for Michigan. I mean, this is, and, and maybe it's more of a can't lose than a must win, but this is a year that we're trying to figure out if Michigan is actually taking a step if Michigan is actually the type of team that can compete for a Big Ten title and can, you know, compete to beat Ohio State and, and get to the college football playoff and all the things that everyone thought Jim Harbaugh was going to be able to do for Michigan and get back up there. So you have to take care of business. You have to win the big rivalry games. You have to beat Michigan State. And these are the types of games that Harbaugh obviously has traditionally struggled in. He's obviously beaten Michigan State before. He's not beaten Ohio State. But it's not it's not a guarantee. It's not something he's done every year. It's not something anyone would take for granted. And I just think if you want to be the program that you think you are and that you think you're taking that step towards this year, you have to win this game. And so to me, there's a lot more pressure on the Michigan side heading into this game, which again, you know, I I just think it means more to Michigan than it does to Michigan state, because I think, you know, you're ahead of schedule with Mel Tucker. Things are good. You're feeling good. It's kind of a little bit like it's all gravy right now. Not to say this game doesn't matter, but you're in a totally different place in terms of expectations, outside expectations for this year, where that's why I think it's more of a can't lose game for Michigan. Right. And I think this gets into where our jobs are different because your your job is to tell the story, right? You tell the story. You do like and my job is to get into like the gross like nuts and bolts of processing what this carcass of a game is going to look like. And I like, I'm, I, I'm the guy, I make the sausage and here's the reality. I don't care who the game means more to, cause it's just a football game. But the, at the end of the day, what I'm looking at is how do you win this football game for both teams? They are, this is one of the most, from a highly ranked standpoint, one of the most disgusting games to look at. Because you have a team who stinks 
against the pass in Michigan State. And you have a team who stinks at throwing the ball in Michigan. You have a team who makes big explosive plays, running and throwing in Michigan State, and a team who limits explosive plays in a massive way in Michigan. You got a quarterback who's thrown five touchdown passes and Cade McNamara. In a team, that's the way to score on him. Bailey Zappi was like going, went crazy. But he can't do what Bailey Zappi did, can he? They're not a team that can do that. And they don't have a coaching staff that's going to let them do that with, with respect to Michigan. So what, what does this game look like? I don't, I don't know. And that's the, 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 that's the gross part of it to me is I don't know what this game looks like. It's one thing when you talk about, like, when we talk about Ole Miss and Tennessee, right? And it's like, we know this game's going to be fast-paced and they're going to do this and this and this and this and this. They're bad at the same things and they're good at the same thing. So that's going to be what it is. And then when you look at this game, it's like, oh, they're bad at one thing. They're good at this other thing. It, it's like, um, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's a weird sandwich of a football game. Obviously, my wife went to Michigan State. She's super excited about it. But like, when you have... You, 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 you have um, uh, Jalen Naylor and you have uh, Kenneth Walker and you have like these explosive players. These guys can make plays. But then you also on the defensive side of things for Michigan have got like their entire goal is to suffocate you. And like when you look at these numbers, like literally like we're talking about a team that like from a defensive standpoint, Michigan's number 20 against the past. Michigan State is a hundred. It's like Michigan from a from. Okay, here we go. From a, all, I need to match them up because I wrote them all in a line. Michigan as an offense, they're a hundred and fourth in the nation in passing. Wow, not good. Michigan State as a defense, a hundred and twenty first in the nation against the pass. Oh no, also not good. But does that mean that Michigan's going to throw the ball against their weak pass defense? I don't know. Probably not. They're probably going to be like, let's just sit on our hands and run the ball because we're we're number five in the nation running the football. Except Michigan State is the top 30 defense stopping the football, and they're even better when it comes to limiting long-running plays. Like, these, like it's going to be – I don't know what this looks like. I don't know if it's going to look good. And then you throw in the fact that both of these coaches, Harbaugh more, even more than Tucker, they're conservative by nature. Not exposing yourself is the the currency that they traffic in. And so, if you look at, like, what should happen in this game is they should, like, McNamara throw the ball down the field. Vertical stretch to create levels in that zone coverage that Michigan State plays so that you can create big holes for you to hit your wide receivers in those, and then they can make plays after the catch, forcing Michigan State to tackle in the open field. That's the way that you find success. Except... They're not good at it, so they don't have confidence in doing that, so they probably aren't going to do it, which means they're going to run the ball, which means that Michigan State gets to load the box and punch them in the face. It's just going to be you punch me, I punch you, you punch me, I punch you. And you call that gross. I mean, I, I love it. I think I find it, I find it to be I, – I, I like that level of physicality in a football game. The gross part for me is – seeing an obvious strategy for how to win 
and then watching teams not take that path. Okay, that's fair. Be- that's fair. Because they don't because they have no confidence in themselves, no confidence in their quarterback, no confidence in their wide receivers. Or let's quite specifically, it's not a thing that they practice, right? We have Harbaugh telling us, oh, we'll just run the ball a million times. That's how we're gonna do it. And we'll take ground transportation. Is that what he said? We'll take the we'll take the bus or whatever, or take the train, excuse me. But to win and to win at a level that they expect to or they want to win at you have to force the defense to play in layers. And if you don't force them to play in layers, your run game can't get off the ground. Oh, and by the way, I do need to say this. The forward progress was disgusting last week. Let me say that for last call. But anyways, you have to force the defense to play in layers. If you don't force them to play in layers, and what I mean is forcing a safety to have to cover 45 yards and then forcing linebackers to have to drop to 15 to 20 and then having your defensive line try to get to the quarterback, that's layers, layer three layers of defense. If those layers are all stacked within 12 yards, Illinois, Penn State, watching Illinois' safeties never drop, watching Penn State safeties do the exact same thing where they never take a drop, that means you're only making them play in a box that's 53 and a third wide and only 12 yards deep, 12 times three, what's that? 12, that's 36, like that's 36 feet, 36 feet deep, that's, what, eight, nine steps for somebody running really fast? That's not far. Like, it's not, that's not, 36 feet isn't a lot. And so I, I just, the gross, the gross part about this game for me is just, how, I don't know how anybody does what they want to do without taking a risk and being something that they haven't been all season. And we talk about identity all the time, but... And this is something I've been saying, like, they've got to try something else because I think if they go into this game expecting to bang hammers against each other, they're going to have some problems. If Michigan State goes into this game expecting to have a bunch of explosive plays and 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 and, 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 and Walker and Naylor high-fiving, going down the field, running nonstop. Um, is it Walker or Washington? Now I'm getting myself Kenneth Walker? Yeah, Kenneth Walker. Okay, because I was like, "Is it Washington?" Kenneth Walker. But I'm thinking of I'm thinking of something else. Walker and like having them like high five as they run to the end zone. That was against Rutgers. An all time moment. I loved it. Sure. Yeah, but Michigan's not going to let that happen. Their defense is really good at limiting explosive. So where so where is the game? I mean, I, I know you said you can't. You don't really have a sense of how this game is going to go. Like where where does it get decided? Is it is I, it do 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 they let Cade McNamara throw the ball deep? Do they put JJ McCarthy in and let him throw? Do they do a couple of different plays? try to break open the game and that's where it's decided or it's just like the seven, three rock fight. I, yeah. I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see this, like just this fist fight of Michigan state trying to create one explosive play that puts them in scoring position versus a Michigan defense that works to limit that so that they force the punt. And then we're going to see on the other side, we're going to see, I don't, I don't think they're going to throw the ball. I don't think they're going to come out and sling it and make them uncomfortable. I think what they're going to do is, think we can get a, in a, a set if we can get an eight play drive that lasts for five minutes then we can score and that's the thing that michigan state has been pretty good at stopping so i think we're going to see both of those and until i honestly i think the team that tries something different is going to be the team that ultimately is in position to win okay so here's here's another question if we come out of the weekend regardless of the winner of that game are we still going to say that we think ohio state is the best team in the Big Ten, or do do we think Ohio State's best team in the Big Ten? I mean, they're averaging eight point four four yards per play. 
in a year where there's been a lot of inconsistent offenses, you know, you could talk about the level of the competition as they've worked through some defensive issues, but are like, do, do we think the winner of this game is going to be in that conversation or are we still good with the Buckeyes? I think in theory, they'll be in the conversation, but I think in reality, give me Ohio state. Like I'm, I'll take them. Like they, I, 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 right. If I have to pick, especially right now, I'll take Ohio state over any team in that conference. I'll take Ohio state over any team and including Oregon in the PAC 12. I'll take them over any team in the ACC. I'll take them over any team in the big 12. I, with the, I mean, honestly, with the exception of maybe Bama and Georgia, I'll probably take them over everybody else. And, and no disrespect to Cincinnati. I know you're you're right there too. Want to mention you, but I take them over them. They they are a threat every single time. They that's that's what we're talking about though, right? We we're talking about with Michigan. They're a, Ohio State is a threat every single play. They're a threat to score. And the the part about this with football that it's it's really crystallized for me over the last three four years. Watch in watching. Uh, it, it started to crystallize for me when I was looking at third down and third down percentage. And it, this is, and I don't mean to take a long walk around the park, but Ohio State, or excuse me, Oklahoma, when they took on Georgia, I was like, I think Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma is going to win this football game. And they ultimately didn't because Georgia, what did Georgia do in that football game? They did something completely different than they, than they were used to. They realized they were down at the half and then they started to play a more tempo based offense and they, they found ways to, to score so that they could beat Oklahoma in that ball game with a big number. But the point here is in doing the research and looking at this football game, what I realized is, oh, it doesn't matter what your third down conversion is, your third down conversion percentage is. If you're Oklahoma in that year with Baker Mayfield, it doesn't matter what their third down conversion percentage is because they didn't play third downs. They didn't play enough third downs for it to matter. Like they they just kept going and going and going. And I think Ohio State is, is, is in that same world where I don't care about a bunch of this stuff because at the end of the day, they're not like they, they, they don't like they're good on third downs this year. But the amount of third down attempts that they've had is like it's markedly lower than like they're there. It's Ohio State ha- is a hunt. So they're in the top. I believe that I want to get the numbers right. So I don't have people bothering me. Ohio State is number three in third down conversions at 50, 57.69. So 58% of third downs they convert. Do you want to, Do you know what number they are in attempts on third down? Bottom half of the country? 127th. Almost at the bottom of the country? There we go. I- yeah, like the only the only team, I'll tell you this, maybe I, t- I should take it back on Cincinnati. Cincinnati only has 77, although they only convert 44%. But they're at the bot 127 third downs through seven games. That's wild. And that's because they don't play third downs. And then when they do play, they're good at converting them. So I just, yes, I do think they're the best team in the Big Ten. Yes, I think after this game, they'll remain the best team in the Big Ten. Yes. I also think that way, and I just think that um, there's, when we'll get into this in future episodes, there's just, like, they're, they're so talented at so many positions that I don't know where their weakness is as an offense that you would even try to sure. stop. So we'll get into that in a later episode. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to hit real quick on, on the ACC and the fallout of, of Clemson-Pitt, which was a game where Pitt was favored, and Pitt won, and Pitt was clearly the better team. And yeah. I already saw at least one, is this the end of the Clemson dynasty, column written. Obviously, they benched DJ Uyunglele in the game. There was There's a lot going on at Clemson right now, but... Can we make those big sweeping comments? I mean, it's clearly a massive drop off from what we're used to seeing for this team. We've talked a lot about some of the reasons why and some of the places where you could have plugged and played if you use the transfer portal the way that other teams do. All of these different things. Is it the end? Is it too soon? How close are we to having that conversation about the run that they have been on over the last decade? Well, what do you think? I don't think we're there yet. I, I have like very strong feelings about this because after they lost to North Carolina State, I, my, my producer at Stadium was like, oh, is this the end of the Clemson dynasty? And I was like, do you think who, who do you think is going to recruit better than them in the ACC? Right. Who do you think is going to have more talent on their rosters? Who do you think is going to who do you who do you think like this is a it's a it's it's a year that they are not as good as we want them to be. Right, I think it needs this to be multiple years for us to bingo. to have that conversation because this can be missing on a quarterback sure. or missing a huge gap on an offensive line, period yeah. of recruiting, whatever it is. Whereas I think the end of a dynasty means the end. It doesn't mean that next year they're we, back up there. That's not that's we, not how end works as a word. We we did this already, right? right. We did this in in what? 2010 with Alabama, people were like, oh, it's over for them. Right. Or well, it was, and, like, and then we did it again. When did it again when they Clemson didn't make the playoff. Them. Yeah, and Wisconsin was beating them. It, right, we you did You have this. to, it, it, you're only, it's at the end when you're not there the next year. Right, there, there's a humongous difference between, I'm 
trying to get the years right. There's a huge difference between the Jameis Winston loss to Oregon in the playoff in the 2014 remarkable drop off that Florida State's had. Yes, that's a that's a really good comp. So unless unless people are positing that Clemson is about to have that sort of precipitous drop off. I don't know what the end means. And I think you're right that someone else has to fill that void to to really do it. Because if Clemson still makes the playoff because they're still winning the ACC, Mm -hmm. then I don't think you can say it that way either. Even if it's not, you know, like Death Star Clemson and it's like a tier below that. So clearly, you know, this, you know, it's not going to be Miami. It's not going to be Florida State. North Carolina, like there, there were programs that you're wondering, could they just slot in there? Like it's not, so, so I'm with you. I think it's gotta be a multi-year thing. It's gotta be like the Florida state down, like yeah, that's a Valley. That's, that's a Valley after the peaks, right? Like it's, it's down recruiting classes. It's, it's real problems and coaching changes and all these things where the program yeah. is in a different place. That's not at all what's happening with Clemson. And you're right. We've had these same questions with Alabama before. They've reinvented themselves, or they get you know a couple of, get a couple players, or you you're waiting one year, or whatever it is. That's very different. So I'm with you. I think it's too soon to say. I do think it's been a massive drop off, and I don't think people predicted this would be the year that you would see it. But I don't think that sure. means. I I think they're having a hard time understanding what's happening to them. Yes. But when and and this is another thing that's kind of analogous to Florida State. When your offensive line is an issue, it's really hard to, like, figure out if the other parts are working the right way. Like, this is like, if you got a battery problem in your car, it's really tough to figure out if the other stuff works right. And and, and when it's O-line, it just takes so long to get out of it. Like, yeah. it's not a one-year fix. You've got, and, well. Or one recruiting class. It's, that it, well, the thing. It could be, but then it's going to take a couple of years. I think that the the problem slash the difference is that it's just they're a year, maybe two years behind of the big evolution in the game where shield blocking is not nearly as effective as it was before because these defensive linemen have adjusted and they're getting better and they're fighting and they're working harder and like they're doing and coaches are using them in a different way where instead of asking a guy to just eat blocks or occupy a space so a linebacker can play to bounce, they're figuring out that penetration, especially against um, mesh point-based offensive systems or against teams that want to work like light play action to get to, like a lot of the play action that we see is for, it's for safeties. Like, they just want to move a safety around a little bit, or they just want to move a linebacker around a little bit. But if you can disrupt that, that buy some time, if you can if you can stop the time buy that is that, that light play action, you can now create real chaos. And to stop that, you have to have bodies that aren't just directing guys in a different way or moving guys a little bit. You have to have guys that can stop bodies in their tracks and move bodies off the point and... It's just they just they got to find some of those bodies, and obviously they didn't have Bockhorst last week. Who he's not a full blown body mover, but he's at guard. He is much stronger at the point 
than anybody else they have on the, in that interior um, threesome. So it's it, it's about them finding guys like they're gonna have to they got to figure out what kind of bodies they want because moving bodies is the name of the game at this point. Yeah, and and again, I think that's a multi-year thing because you know there's a reason that you know the best offensive lines are you you got guys that redshirted that build that built up that you know sure. that spent time in a system and develop it so I, I agree with you that i think clemson is still in the phase of trying to figure out what exactly is happening um and, yeah. and where the root causes are the, the flip side of that game though to me also was pitt establishing themselves as as you know obviously a a the favorite in the coastal but also um, and, and again, you know, the, the Western Michigan loss, they've, been, they've just been on a tear since then. But I, I think, you know, I, th- I wanted to say, you know, or is it too soon to say that the Clemson dynasty is over? Is it too soon to say that Kenny Pickett is a true Heisman trophy contender? I mean, I feel like for a few weeks we've kind of been joking about this, but I think he's going to get a trip to New York. I hope so. I like Kenny Pickett. Like, I do too. Listen, I, I've, I've been a fan since he was committed to Pitt. Saw him in D.C. at the regional. Kick and play. Always been able to sling it. Uh, somebody who works uh, for like an NFL draft site was like, like posed the question, what is a good comp for Kenny Pickett? And I was like, it's a guy that looks like Matt Ryan but plays like Russell Wilson. And, I mean, that's the reality. There's a time. And I don't, I don't see them doing as much. It could be just camera angles. But he used to run to the sideline every time and get a play. And then run back to the huddle and tell them to play, and then run the play. And I was like, "This is insane. <laughs> this is like this is what we did in middle school." And it's the guys. There's he's really good. I, he's incredibly accurate. I love his off-platform throws. And uh, the reality for me is, I, and and I hope folks understand this because it is a real thing when you watch him play. There is not a faster player in the country than Kenny Pickett when he is trying to get to the sideline um, on a scramble. No one is faster than him. He will not be caught. He will not be touched. He will not be hit uh, on, like, almost stepping out of bounds. He won't be touched. He is the fastest player in the country when he when it's time to get to the sideline. It's amazing to see. But he's got great command. And I want to say, like, like, props to Pat Narduzzi as well for recognizing this isn't the defense that I want. This is the defense that I have. So, offense, we're going to have to lean on you to get us through this rough patch. And the cool thing about that and the interesting thing about that is that offense is like that part of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, offense is – there's something interesting about this offense versus defense relationship. Like, for Clemson and for Iowa, for Penn State, there is this high stress level of having to be perfect every single play. Because all you have to do is, if you slip once, if you're Jaquan Brisker, you slip one time, that's a touchdown. The game's over. Because your offense can't get your back. If you're any of these guys for Iowa, any of these guys from Clemson, you mess up once, TD, I don't think we can score a touchdown. And you're in trouble. But on the flip side of that, and, and not to be hyperbolic, but... Pitt has a very Oklahoma of the, like, not this year's Oklahoma, but previous year's Oklahoma feel where, oh, we don't care if our defense is not good. We're going to score again. Like, I'd rather, you know what, let them score. And then we get the ball back. And to your point, it's funny when you have these really old school defensive minded head coaches that have to be okay with that and that become okay with that. Um, Yeah. 
and that's just who Pitt is. And so I love it. Give him props. And Kenny Pickett, I think is going to get a trip to New York, hopefully, as long as people are really acknowledging what he's doing um, as you know one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Let's. If he wins, if he wins the Heisman, he should split it with Larry Fitzgerald. He also would probably split it with um, his entire offensive line, which I believe he sure oh, was yeah. one of I'm, the he did one of those NIL deals where he just takes him to a really nice restaurant every week, which I respect. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I, absolutely. They, and I, I think that Pitt and Wake, their offensive lines are under celebrated. They're really, really good. But I'm just saying Larry Fitzgerald did have one of the greatest snubs. And yes, that's some goodwill pro- for Pitt right he there. He probably would. I mean, think about Kenny Pickett. He's got a really good head on his shoulders that he would yes. absolutely absolutely do that let's go into our flavor of the week because i want to stay in the acc for for mine sure. um so this is our new segment where we talk about something delicious that we've made and then a team that we find fairly delicious on the field um and so i made shallot pasta on saturday i told you this is what i do i have to come up with something that is delicious that i can look forward to as i'm sitting at home on my couch watching football which is the opposite mm-hmm. of you um, where you don't like to cook on Saturdays. And I, did, I don't sit down. Well, or, yeah, sitting. You stand <laughs> the whole time? Are you yeah, pacing? Once I'm, once I'm done from the studio, yeah, I pace all day and write <laughs> notes. And, yeah, that's the whole – that's my whole day. Okay. Um, so I made the Allison Roman shallot pasta. You do it with the bucatini. It is delicious, and it is a spicier – it's got a kick. It's got a kick. You know, it's got shallots. It's got um, red pepper flakes. There's some, um, I use anchovy paste. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a flavor, you know, a, a kick to it. It looks, yeah. looks kind of like a, like a marinara, but it's not. And uh, so it's delicious. I made it on Saturday. I made it probably three times now. Highly recommend it. And it's my flavor of the week. And my flavor of the week on the field is Wake Forest. Just put up 70 on Army. Mm-hmm. Scored in like a second, basically every time. Yeah. I think the time of possession in that game was wild because it was exactly what you'd expect with an army team. But like it was 17 minutes and they put up yep. 70 points. Like it was just, it was incredible from Sam Hartman and, and that offense. Um, so, you know, I just think they're spicier than than people think too. I mean, this is this is a team that we've all kind of been like, ha it's great, Wake Forest is undefeated. But this is a good team. We're clearly... I'm so here for this, setting up for like an ACC championship game between Wake Forest and Pitt, um, which I would love to see. But I mean, th- this offense is just incredibly fun to watch. I had a, I, I enjoyed watching Wake Forest and Army. I just thought it was a, a wild, wild college yeah. football game. Um, and so they're my flavor of the week. I love it. Um, for me, I'm actually just got it in the oven. So I'm starting Ooh. early doing pork carnitas tonight. And um <laughs> We mentioned uh, UTEP, and let me tell you something. You, you want to talk about spicy, you can get some good spice down there in El Paso. Uh, I know, because I uh, spent a little bit of that childhood down in uh, in Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is right there ne- next to El Paso, uh, including the thing I alluded, I talked about earlier in the show. Yes, I, my first college football game was at the Sun Bowl. And so I'm looking at them. They're on the road this week. They play FAU. I just think that this team is like we're seeing between UTEP and UTSA, we're seeing two teams just figure out who they are between Dana Demo and, and, and Trailer. Like we're seeing two teams come into their own. And this is what I was talking about, the ebbs and the flows. UTEP and UTSA don't really control a ton, even in Conference USA. But 
as we see other teams take a step back or not be as good as they, they we think they were going to we we thought they would be, we're seeing them rise up. And then when you develop uh, your, the quarterback position or you, you build up your defense, you have an opportunity to make big wins. And so this is going to be a really fun back half of the season uh, for UTEP. So I'm that that's that, I love those boys. I love those dudes. They're they're really good. All right, I'm excited to see some photos of this uh, the pork carnitas tonight. Oh yeah. Um. So for for our last call segment. We have a, a little special treat because I've asked Chris Vanini, friend of the pod, to submit one as well because he claims that I'm not allowed to talk about the Michigan Daily State News rivalry without equal time. What is that? Okay. I don't know what that is. So, so my last call goes to the great tradition that accompanies the Michigan-Michigan State actual football game, which is a touch football game between the student newspaper staffs. So this is how Chris and I first met because the daily we went four and zero during the stretch. Um, so he was always like sad on the other sideline. Um, and you know, we kind of like, I hate the Michigan state student newspaper so much more than I would ever have actual hatred towards Michigan state. Like, it's just, that's my, that's my rivalry. There's, there's dueling columns, the students write each year. And it's like, you know, Michigan doesn't have a journalism school. So we get, ding for that but then we always say like you don't need a journalism school to be good like actually we're better than them without it and etc etc so there's all this trash talking but there's an actual touch football game the night before it's in the town you know which is hosting the actual game and there's practices like we would always practice for the month leading in um anyway it was it was it was actually genuinely really really fun and one of my highlights of my experience at the michigan daily uh, the Daily is on a 15-game winning streak right now. And so my last call, which is when we cheers or vent or whatever we want to do before we leave, is to the Michigan Daily. I would like to wish you the best of luck as we go for number 16. I have all the faith in the world. Um, it is more important to me than anything else this week that the Daily beats the state news again. And all is right in the world because... They are the superior student newspaper and the superior student newspaper football team. These games are not always the most aesthetically pleasing. There's not always actual <laughs> good football is part of it. Um, but I've been in some incredible moments where we've had near brawls. Uh, we ran a Statue of Liberty play that worked. Um, there's been just a lot of fun. And for my sanity and for my... Uh, for, for the workplace dynamic at The Athletic, because we have so many Michigan Daily alums and we have state news alums, we really need the Daily to win. So my last call goes to the Michigan Daily as they go for number 16, and we will plug in. Chris Vanini sent in his last call, which um, I can only assume is a fabricated version of the events because they always accuse the Daily of having ringers, which we just have a bigger staff and more athletic people. This is Chris Vanini here with my last call. And I would like to thank Nicole Auerbach for giving me the time to respond on this podcast. And that is the only positive thing I will say about Nicole in this segment, because I cannot stand every year watching her go on the airwaves and sharing lies and deception about the state news daily game. Yes, I will admit we have lost, what is it, 15 straight? I don't even know anymore. But there must be some context to this. That's what we do here at The Athletic. It's what we did at the State News. It's what they don't do at the Michigan Daily because the Michigan Daily has no standards. Essentially, anyone can write for the Michigan Daily. Its staff is massive. 
While the state news staff is small and shrunk considerably during my time 10 years ago, just as all newspapers did, the state news doesn't have freelancers or part-timers. It's a full-time gig, and those are the only people there. The result is the Daily has a much larger pool of people to use in a football game, and I suspect a few ringers perhaps come game day, while our newspaper actually wins awards every year for great reporting. We've come close in football. We lost in overtime two of the three years I played, games that were shortened because the field that the Daily chooses in Ann Arbor always turns its lights off early. But in the end, a loss is a loss. It wasn't always this way. In the 90s, it was tackle football, and the state news won so many times and sent so many daily writers to the hospital that it changed to touch football. Nicole and I did not like each other for a long time. She almost got in a fight in one of the years that we played each other. When we were both hired by The Athletic five years ago, we hashed things out, but not this week. I can complain all I want, but at the end of the day, we have to win one of these. The streak has to end. So go State News, beat the Daily. All right, Felder, your turn for the last call, which I assume will not be related to the Daily State News game. No, I did not write for either one of those. I didn't write for the Daily Tar Heel either. So, no, <laughs> no involvement in either. You are just you're so you're so like alarmed that this is so important to us. I can yes. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's more important than the football game is to the actual football players. <laughs> um, no, uh, you know what? I don't know. Do you want you want happy? You want happy or angry? Because I've got both of them. Uh, let's go. I want angry because the we're talking about this heated rivalry between Chris and myself. So right. I like like keep the spice. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna go to the dark side because the Ford Progress thing it really makes me sick. Like I'm disgusted by the way that Ford Progress has been officiated. And we saw it in the Michigan game uh, with, with, with uh, was it Hassan Haskins. We, saw, we see him get essentially picked up and carried by his offensive line. And we're not talking about pushed over into the end zone or pushed over for a fourth and one. We're talking about in the green zone, between the 30s to the 30s in the green zone, his offensive line pushing him forward eight yards for a first down. That's not what's supposed to happen. And then the Caleb Williams play that everybody is celebrating, I think it's total garbage. And the running backs, Ford Progress was not just stopped. He was moved backwards. And then he took the ball and went for a first down. That shouldn't be okay. And I get it. Like, everybody can laud it as, like, amazing play. Highlight of the day. Saves the day. Blah, blah, blah. But, no, that's a gr- that's a, it's a gross miscarriage of 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 officiating and it just i don't understand how and i know you know what no i do understand and this is a theory i've been working it out i think at the end of the day most football fans most football media most people that watch football like all the whole deal they view themselves as the offense because just like with a movie just like with a television show everybody views themselves as the protagonist and, which makes the defense the antagonist. It makes the defense the bad guys. White hat, black hat. Makes the defense the black hat. Makes the offense the white hat. And everybody views themselves through that, that world. So everyone, and, and you throw in fantasy football, and everybody's rooting for the offense and the points and all this stuff. And to see how egregious these violations of that rule are, is it makes me sick. And this is the thing, I first noticed it when I was in fifth or sixth grade playing football 
where when I would tackle someone and sling them back or push them back, they would always move them up to the, the, the closest spot they could to how far they could go. And then you keep playing football and you realize, oh, we're rewarding second and third efforts after a play should have been stopped because that's what helps make the offense feel better about themselves. Like the idea of, oh, on his second effort, he got the first down. Well, why does he get a second effort? Because, oh, that's good for the offense. So I think you're, you I think you're absolutely right that, that's, that fans watch the game rooting for the offense. Right. Everyone views themselves as the quarterback or yes. the running back. Because like when they play Madden, they are. Sure. They're play, calling the plays. Fantasy football, you don't get really many points at all for defense. You're not rooting right. for your defense. I think yeah. I think that this is a, a fully workshopped thought. I think this is true. Yeah. Like this is, I, I looked up, I was a guest blogger in 2010 for al.com and i found they asked what rule would you what would you change about college football and they were like could you add a playoff would you tweak the bcs would you change recruiting rules would players get paid and my answer was forward progress either make forward progress where when i hit him his feet stop and he moves backwards or he's stymied the ball's dead right there and he doesn't get the chance at that second effort you do that or you reward us the both the same way, where you reward his second effort, but also you reward my second effort where I get to push him back. You give me those yards back. When I tackle this guy and I move him back four yards, don't spot him across the first down marker after we've pushed him backwards. No, you spot him back here where it is. Make it right either way. Mm. But I think this the way that they treat defense just in general is bad, and this is one of the ways that you can see it happen the most. And I just – I'm. I'm I, like the, the 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 Caleb Williams thing like that just after watching the Michigan game and seeing that happen, which largely was inconsequential because Michigan was in control of that game, and then seeing it be in a consequential spot where Kansas did the right thing, and then Oklahoma is rewarded because they want to help the offense. That's just, I, 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 I'm done with it. But I will say this in on a happy note. I really love what Chip Kelly is doing. I know that they lost to, to Oregon, but they've had a couple of my favorite plays all year. And there's a play in the fourth quarter where they motion out the running back. They force Oregon out of banjo coverage. And they find a way to get into the hole that the defensive end can't cover. It's beautiful. It's great football. Chip Kelly is, uh, he's, he's playing, he's playing and he's calling inspired football and while their record isn't what they want right now the record's not as good as they probably want right now the reality of it is they they they've they've got strong bones like this is a this is this is they got good bones there at that program right now so i'm super excited but after everybody has dumped on ucla for a long time myself probably included um they've there's some strong bones there and he's doing a lot of really really positive things so that's the positive part that i have but the negative forward progress is making me like i'm gonna i'm gonna i don't have any hair i'm a bald man but and I definitely am not going to pull out my beard hair, but it does. I'm going to get some sort of a flat spot from rubbing my head all every single game. On that note, we will wrap it there. Thank you, as always, for listening to Power Hour. If you're not already an athletic subscriber, you can sign up at theathletic.com. 
slash Nicole for a very special deal on an annual subscription. You'll have one true pod on this feed later this week with Max Olson, Jason Kersey, Sam Khan. I'm sure they'll get more into the Texas Tech situation. Andy, Andy Staples, Ari Wasserman, they'll be back on this feed later this week. So definitely be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. And for Michael Felder and myself, we will be back next Tuesday for the next episode of Power Hour. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you then. Thank you.